Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. All brought to you by Theragun. Take care of those aching muscles. The Theragun is wonderful. I've got one now, and I can tell you all about it in just a little bit. Theragun.com slash martini. Jim, let's talk about the good news, and that is the opposition research, which the Republicans held in reserve on Raphael Warnock in Georgia. We don't know what the impact of this is going to be until January 5th or possibly even later. But by keeping the powder dry, all of this stuff seems very new. It's not old news, even though some of it happened a while ago. And it's just turning into an avalanche of negativity and extremism when it comes uh, to the Democratic candidate uh, in this critical Senate race in Georgia. Of course, the other one is David Perdue against John Ossoff. But just in the, the last few days, here's the litany of what we've got. We've got the fact that Warnock's church back in the 90s hosted Fidel Castro. And even today, he won't say if he was there or approved of it. He only said it wasn't his decision for Castro to come. Apparently, Warnock was the youth pastor at that time. Your editors, uh, perhaps including yourself at National Review, talking about how he called Israel an apartheid state, called the wall along the West Bank reminiscent of the Berlin Wall and uh, reminiscent of apartheid South Africa as well. He's had good things to say about Jeremiah Wright, uh, Obama's former radical pastor in Chicago, even calling the quote-unquote goddamn America speech very fine. Uh, And then we've got a couple of clips here about other things. First of all, we've got his attitude towards police. This is from 2015 as it related to Ferguson. I believe we actually played this earlier in the week. So in Ferguson... Police power showing up in a kind of gangster and thug mentality. You know, you know, you you can wear all kinds of colors and be a thug. You can sometimes wear the colors of the state and behave like a thug. That's not just police, though. It's also the military. America, nobody can serve God and the military. You can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. America, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Okay, as a Christian, I find that last one particularly repulsive because he's using just enough scripture to fool people, and then uh, he's uh, going way off base here. That There is a passage that says you can't serve God and money, you can't serve God and mammon. That's about idolatry. You need money, but uh, you can't make it the thing that's most important to you. Uh, the Bible is perfectly fine with a the military. There's a book called Numbers, Jim, and the numbers detail the number of men over the age of 20 who can serve in Israel's army as ordered by God, over 600,000 of them. And then in the New Testament, it talks about how whatever your job is, do it to the very best, and it brings glory to God. So he's twisting that for political purposes, but we've got this whole avalanche of uh, radicalism on the part of Raphael Warnock now, and Jim, we've still got over a month and a half to go. Yeah, and as you said, if this had all come out early in the year, then this probably wouldn't be nearly getting nearly as much attention and much discussion as it is now. Uh, This is what happens when you use all of your opposition. There's this one school of thought that says you want to try to define your opponent early, But if you know it's almost certain to go to a a runoff, as they knew in this particular Senate race, it was likely, then yeah, why not, you know, use it after uh, Election Day when you can put it fresh in voters' minds right before they go to the uh, 
into the the voting booth. Now, Sean Trend, who is a very sharp guy, writes over at uh, Realtor Politics, and he writes a really, you know, I think a astute and kind of ominous column asking the question, are Republicans really favored in Georgia? And he goes down the list for all the factors that are working against Republicans in this particular circumstance and why they shouldn't take this thing as a uh, as a done deal or lock up. And he kind of makes the, the fair point that, you know, Loeffler is not a great candidate. Um, you know, she won the, it was, a, it was an open field and there were a whole bunch of candidates, but she's never run for, never before held office. She's never won statewide before. She was appointed into the job. Um, but I'm just going to say, Senator Kelly Loeffler, you don't have an easy task in front of you, but you do have all of this material and you're running in a post-presidential election runoff in Georgia as the incumbent. If you can't win in these circumstances, you're not going to be able to win in a whole bunch of them. The, the stage is set for you, Senator Loeffler. By the way, they're about they're scheduled to have a debate at some point. I imagine all of this will provide easy fodder in the debate. We'll see how things shake out. But, uh, you know, again, this is if you're a lot of Republican candidates have faced much tougher environments than this and managed to pull out ahead on Election Day. So, uh, you know, Republicans really have nothing to complain about this particular set of circumstances. No, that's exactly right. I think December 6th is what they set as the the date for that debate. And, uh, Jim, I remember when I was down in uh, South Carolina on vacation in Mid-October, there were a lot of ads for a lot of people. Kelly Laffler was one of them. She was in the more difficult position in the jungle primary because Doug Collins, the congressman, was also running. And everybody pretty much knew that Warnock would get one of the two slots and then it would be Leffler or Collins for the other one. And Leffler kept running these, she's more conservative than Attila the Hun ads, which is good for the jungle primary potentially. I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be uh, something she's going to be thankful for if, if Warnock tries to take advantage of that on the, on the runoff. But we'll see. We'll see. But uh, Greg, I'm just picturing the focus groups on that one. So would you describe Attila the Hun as a strong leader? Would you say you feel strongly favorable, moderately favorable, moderate, no response at all towards Attila the Hun? I feel like there were some authoritarian streaks in Attila the Hun. I got to say, I'm not sure he's a free market conservative at all, but uh, certainly not very libertarian. (laughs) A lot of stress going on in Georgia, a lot of stress going on in politics in general. And sometimes you just need to get rid of that stress. You need to work out the muscles, literally. And that's where Theragun comes in. You know, we, we pitched Theragun a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't gotten it yet. We've got it now. Theragun is amazing. You might have seen one of these at your chiropractor's office or physical therapist's office or something like that. And man, it's just so good at soothing and uh, and, and providing the vibrations and the, and the pressure you need on your muscles. And the great thing is now, and, and we'll talk about this with all the details, it's very specific of you can you can go on the app and hook up and, and pick the, the different therapy that you want, you know, to your legs, to your back, to your neck. You got to be a little bit careful there. Uh, shoulders, you know, there's just so many things that need the tension worked out. And Theragun uh, does a fantastic job with it. I like it. My wife is thoroughly addicted to this thing. She absolutely loves it. And I think at some point I'm going to actually have her cut the testimonial if we have them back because she's she's, she's a big fan. So uh, we are uh, thrilled to have it. We're thrilled to have them as a sponsor. And for all the reasons that we need to soothe those muscles, especially in 2020, that's why we use Theragun. You know, Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now it is as quiet as an electric toothbrush. That's because the all new Generation 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that is so quiet, 
you will wonder if it is on while you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. Try Theragun for 30 days. There's no substitute for Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, which I mentioned a moment ago, and the quiet and power you need. It starts at only $199, so go to theragun.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N dot com slash martini, theragun.com slash martini. All right, Jim, our second martini is part bad, part crazy, and 100% hypocrisy. Let's talk about some of the orders, recommendations, and then actions of some of our political leaders. We've seen this over the past few weeks and months, but it really seems to be ratcheting up right now. We talked yesterday about uh, the sheriffs in New York defying Governor Cuomo, who actually kind of wants people to enforce the no more than 10 people at Thanksgiving or any other gathering rule. Ohio's got a statewide curfew coming in now. You can't be out after 10 p.m. It's like you're 15 again. Uh, my personal favorite right now is Pennsylvania. Uh, their Department of Health tweeted out yesterday, strengthening masking order. Masks are still required. Indoors, masks now required anytime you're with people outside your household, even if you're socially distant. Applies to all indoor facilities and if you have people in your home not part of your household. Yes, they want you to wear the mask in your own house if you have people over. They do admit they're not actually going to enforce this. But, uh, Jim, this certainly seems like major government intrusion. And then at the same time, you've got the revelations out in California about some officials headed off to Hawaii. Gavin Newsom himself went to somebody's 50th birthday party up in Napa. And now we've got photos of everybody crammed around this one table. Nobody's got a mask indoors. Jim, it's hypocrisy with all capital letters. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to break something to the state of Pennsylvania, uh, the state which, by the way, most years I spend my Thanksgiving. And that's that, you know, if you announce we have a rule, but you also add we're not going to be enforcing this rule, <laughs> then it's not really a rule. It's really more of a recommendation. And that's fine. States can recommend things all they want. In fact, I think recommendations are probably the best way to handle a lot of these uh, things we want people to do regarding the coronavirus because uh, enforcement turns into a logistical nightmare, as we saw yesterday with the New York sheriffs. Look, if you're not going to be looking around in people's homes, and, and we certainly don't want the police, like, you know, trying to peer into people's windows to make sure that they're wearing masks indoors while around their relatives and such, say, look, we're really worried about people. Thanksgiving are big gatherings. You're probably likely to have all kinds of relatives. A bunch of them are going to be elderly. Those are the folks who are most vulnerable to the coronavirus. The vaccines are on the way, but we got a couple more weeks or months to get through this. Dear Pennsylvanians, please wear your masks. And if you're going to have people over, please be really careful. There's nothing wrong with any of that. And if, if you know, Governor Wolf or anybody else said, look, this is what we're doing, fine. When they say this is a rule, but we're not actually going to enforce it, everyone kind of looks at it and kind of recognizes, like, but what's the point of it then? You're, you, you, you're, you're saying this has the force of law, but then you're in the next breath admitting it doesn't really have the force of law. I suspect one of the reasons states are tying themselves in knots over this is because deep down, some of the people making the rules realize just how hard it is to live under these rules. And I just, I have a corner post about this uh, that I just went up really probably less than an hour ago. So Gavin Newsom out in California, not our favorite guy for a whole bunch of different reasons, but his state is getting hit pretty darn hard. And so he's instituted all kinds of new restrictions. And yeah, of course, now he's gotten in trouble because he's gone to this really fancy restaurant 
in which there were six other couples. And now I think it was one of the local television affiliates has pictures. You can tell this is not outdoors. As somebody said, if you have a cube and five of the sides of the cube are solid and that sixth door is a sliding door and the sliding door had to be closed because the group was too noisy. Guess what? You don't have, it's not outdoors by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and look, he was telling, you know, Gavin te- Newsom is telling his constituents, you have to dine alone. You cannot get together for parties. You cannot get together for groups. And he and his wife did that. Um, that's, you know, and, and oh, by the way, one of the other guests was a lobbyist who's attempting to influence his administration. But hey, that's a whole separate issue there. Um, people see this. People see this and they realize, okay, Gavin Newsom isn't that worried about catching coronavirus or giving coronavirus to some of his other party guests or other people at this gathering. Why should I be worried? Why should I change my particular behavior? It comes on top of 20 lawmakers going to Hawaii this week for a conference with lobbyists for the Independent Voter Project. Uh, We talked about D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser going to Biden's victory celebration, breaking her own restrictions. Lori Lightfoot celebrating with crowds in the streets. Bill Murphy breaking his own executive order on large gatherings. Time after time. And it's not, I'm sure if we look, we can find some Republican examples. I think it was some mayor who was... uh, whose own, I believe his wife was arrested when they cleared out the bars. Um, there, there are cases of Republican lawmakers who have violated those, but it also seems like most of the most glaring ones we've seen have been Democrats. And it generally it's been Democratic lawmakers, governors and mayors who have been enacting the strictest and harshest and most uh, sweeping restrictions on what people can do during this pandemic. At some point, people tune you out, dear governors and mayors. At some point, people stop listening to you because if you're not willing to change your behavior in response to this pandemic, other people look at you and say, okay, if he was, if Gavin Newsom was really that worried, the moment he saw that, that dinner was going to be served indoors and there are going to be 12 people, he's like, I, I can't do this. This is not a good idea. Oh, by the way, everyone's eating, so they took off their masks. And in fact, they're all sitting fairly close to each other. Those chairs are all right next to each other. Group of 12, all around a table, no masks. I have no idea what the circulation of the room is, but it was not outdoors. This is everything you're not supposed to do. And because Gavin Newsom is showing a bad example, lots of other people who might be kind of, you know, do I want to do this for Thanksgiving? Do I want to get together with my friends? Do I... Now they've got all the excuse in the world they need because they know Gavin Newsom doesn't take this seriously enough to alter his behavior. So why should anyone else? So yeah, I wish Americans would wear masks more consistently. I wish Americans would... Uh, be more careful about gathering for social things. This is, you know, this Thanksgiving is poorly timed. Um, cases really are going up. This is really bad. And the last thing we want to do is lots of, you know, grandparents coming around and spending time with other people. <coughs> people cough. <coughs> and before you know it, you've got more cases. That, that'd be really bad. Having said that, I can't begrudge anybody for tuning out the government when the government has demonstrated time and time and time again, they're not interested in living by the rules they're trying to enforce for everybody else. Jim, Pennsylvania authorities might not be peering in your windows, but based on what I saw yesterday on social media, and I haven't seen it uh, debunked at all, is that New York City, I think it was housing officials, were actually in some of the Orthodox Jewish sections of Brooklyn with binoculars trying to see inside people's homes to see if they were violating COVID restrictions uh, because there's been obviously tensions uh, between the city and that community. So, I mean, uh, where's it going to end? Greg, I'm sure there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for those pictures and what those cops were doing. I'm, they're probably all just peeping toms. That's all. That's comforting. 
guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations, and if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. All right, let's go on to our uh, final crazy martini now, Jim. And one of the things we saw as soon as Joe Biden effectively locked up the Democratic nomination this year was make peace with the Bernie wing of the party. The Bernie bros were uh, very reluctant to support Hillary, so Biden tried to make sure that they were in his fold this year. Uh, He and Bernie collaborated on their manifesto, for lack of a better term, embracing a lot of things, maybe not the a Green New Deal of AOC, but a lot of it, which he tried to run away from in the general election. But uh, Bernie, of course, is against the millionaires and the billionaires and the corporatists and all those things. But guess who is uh, populating most of Biden's inner circle here? Uh, if he is, in fact, it just certainly looks like he's going to be the next president of the United States. Uh, you wrote about this a couple days ago. Uh, Louisiana Congressman Cedric Richmond will be a senior advisor to the president, director of White House Public Engagement. And the big complaint against him is that no other Democratic House member took more money from big oil and gas than Cedric Richmond. Hello, he's from New Orleans. There's a lot of energy exploration going off the coast there. Uh, Jen O'Malley Dillon will be the Deputy Chief of Staff, uh, her marketing firm's clients include GE, Planned Parenthood, Humana, IBM, YouTube, Bank of America, and the NFL. She, of course, is going to be deputy to Ron Klain, who previously, as you report, lobbied for an asbestos industry bailout package, an airline merger, mortgage regulations to help Fannie Mae, and a drug maker under congressional scrutiny for withholding life-saving drugs from dying patients. Uh, there's also... Steve Rachetti, I guess, is the counsel to the president. He's got a long list, AT&T, General Motors, et cetera, uh, and on and on it goes. So, uh, Jim, you got some progressives who feel like they're betrayed here. Uh, this feels kind of more like we're getting back to the Clinton era folks, but obviously a lot of the Obama folks cashed in, like you point out in the piece as well. So should we be surprised? And is this something that suggests he's actually leaning more towards the middle or is it back to the swamp? How do we define this? Sure. Uh, Look, I want to point out to conservatives, we're not going to love every decision that comes out of the Biden White House on the economy and in terms of regulation and things like that. But by and large, these are establishment Democrats who are more than comfortable with corporate America because they've worked for corporate America for long stretches of their career. And by the way, most of these folks, it was not a surprise that these ended up taking uh, top-level staff positions in the White House and in an Obama administration, because in most of these cases, they've been with Biden for a very long time, particularly Jen O'Malley Dillon, Ron Klain, Steve Rochetti. Um, now, does this mean that they're, you know, uh, going to do exactly what corporate America wants? No, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, you're probably not going to try to overturn the entire U.S. capitalist system, or at least to the degree to which we are capitalist. Uh, if you've, you know, worked in corporate America and you know these people and you've, you know, collect a lot of money from these people and you've helped sold their products, you've worked as lawyers for them, you've helped market their products, you've, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's a group of progressive activists out there who basically believe that any work for any part of corporate America represents selling out, man. You know, you become part of the system and we're supposed to overturn the system. Well, I don't think the Biden team is here to overturn the system. And every time somebody from Jacobin Magazine or 
uh, Bernie Bros or AOC acolytes. Uh, oh, I didn't even think about that, but that's pretty good. That's almost alliteration. AOC <laughs> acolytes. Anyway, anyone coming those looks at the Biden team and becomes crestfallen, recognizing that they just put in all of that effort to help empower the same old establishment Democrats who they saw as milk toast and insufficiently revolutionary and too eager to compromise with big business. You know, Greg, I don't know about you. Every time I, I hear them and I see that, I just feel like dancing like Carlton on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I just want to I just want to swing around. It just brings a warm and happy feeling to me because you know what this could lead to, Greg? What? It could lead to these progressive activists feeling like they put all this effort and they, they felt so much like momentum was with them after the 2018 midterms and Bernie won the first three uh, big contests of the Democratic nomination and, and you know things look so good for them and for it to all come crashing down and to see what Barack Obama had once characterized as the same old faces in the same old places uh, of very corporate friendly Democrats. It's entirely possible they feel like things are hopeless. They will feel like uh, everything they did didn't make a difference. And they'll start to ask themselves, do I even really want to be active in politics? Does this even really matter? Craig, I just think that's terrific. It, it just <laughs> makes me happy every time I think about them giving up and, and walking away from politics. There was also the story this week. I don't know if this is uh, confirmed for good, but uh, there's also apparently a bunch of cold water being poured on the idea of either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders being seriously considered for cabinet positions. I don't know if that's due more to the very narrow margin, whatever happens in Georgia, with the next U.S. Senate, or whether he just doesn't want radicals in that position. Like you said, we're still going to have plenty that we disagree with. Most of the stuff we're going to disagree with quite heartily. Uh, but uh, to not have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren creating policy at cabinet-level positions would be real nice. Yeah, I mean, let's point out that... Uh Michelle Fornloy is apparently the one of the leading candidates to be Secretary of Defense. She was Undersecretary of Defense during the Clinton day, during Clinton and Obama. Um, would be a first woman Secretary of Defense, but you know, she's also a, like, don't tell the liberals this. She's really big on missile defense. If you're telling me we're going to elect a Democratic president with a Secretary of Defense who loves missile defense, Greg, this is you know, we we can find some some areas we can work with these people. There there is some upside to seeing corporate establishment. Uh, uh, you know, cent- I don't know, maybe arguably centrist, but, you know, non-rocking the boat, non-socialist Democrat. Greg, if this is, again, as I've been saying since Election Day, if this is bottom, we can live with this pretty easily. Well, missile defense we can certainly live with. Uh, as long as we have a Senate to make sure that all the crazy legislation dies, uh, that's good. And uh, hopefully uh, we don't get student loan debt uh, policies like we were talking about yesterday either. So, again, lots of cringing to come, but there might actually be a couple of things we can make progress on that's actually going to be good for the country. So, Jim, we'll see. We'll see what happens tomorrow and, and beyond. See you then. Uh, see you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. Don't forget about Jim's new book, Hunting for Horsemen. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Please uh, visit our friends over at theragun.com slash martini. Also, subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're always extremely thankful for your very kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.